Hey everybody, it's Mike, and we are back with a new episode of Working It Out. So excited about our guest today, Ashling B. Uh, a couple exciting notes. I have some outdoor shows in uh, New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Uh, Eatontown, New Jersey. The Count Basie is doing a series called Concerts on the Green. Uh, safely distanced outdoor shows. I'm also performing at Steel Stacks Outdoors in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Also Cape Cod, Melody Tent, where I first saw stand-up comedy uh, in, in August. And then my fall tour dates uh, are, are back on from, from spring 2020 to fall 2021, uh, we've, uh, yeah, it's been quite a trip, but I think this fall, th- those shows are on. All of that information is on burbigs.com and sign up for the mailing list. The mailing list is the most reliable way to get uh, things, and I won't bug you with extra emails. And uh, But today, <laughs> today we have Ashling B. Ashling B, you might recognize from a million things. Uh, she's a comedian, actor, writer uh, is on the Netflix series with Paul Rudd called Living With Yourself. She has her own uh, Netflix comedy special. Uh, She created a series uh, called This Way Up that won uh, a BAFTA award for breakthrough talent. She is really a a wildly talented person. She is uh, originally from Ireland, now lives and works in London. Uh, I think it's a particularly interesting episode because there's a lot of working out that happens in real time. There's a lot of collaboration that may lead to something new down the road. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ashling B. So I've been watching your series, uh, which in America is on Hulu, uh, This Way Up, and I and I love it. And I, I'm sure some of it is autobiographical and some of it is fictional. I was curious, particularly because there's a psychic, whether or not you're someone who who, who, who enjoys psychics, uh, go, goes yeah, to psychics. Yeah, quite regularly. It, it started off as like once once a year, and then now it's like, like during the lockdown, oh, I was like dropping some hard cash. Um, as I always like to say they saw me coming Uh, (laughs) but yeah I I think there's something about and maybe you have this as well and actually this is ironically something I've been trying to work out for stand-up so it's very handy is that like when you grow up in a Catholic environment or any sort of high religious environment and then you go through your late teens, 20s, and you shake it all off. And you're like, I don't believe mm-hmm. in that anymore. That's not me. It's just a church. It's just a body of people. It's just a story. Da, 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 da. And do you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm just going to be really atheist. I'm going to go straight away from that. And oh, look, a crystal. Maybe I'll keep a crystal in my pocket as I go on stage. You know what? That's not bad. Look, actually, maybe I'll have three crystals for different things. And actually, I'll set up a little altar in my house. And actually, just every time before I go to do stand-up, I'll just have a little prayer at the altar. And that's not really a prayer. It's just like getting in touch with myself. Next thing you know, you're 37. You're back in the fucking game. And the magic <laughs> never leaves you. It, the, there's, if you're indoctrinated into the belief that there's magic early, and I don't just mean religion, I mean Santa Claus. Yeah. Doesn't, it's like you have to convince yourself, despite all of the adults you've ever been around and the system and the government telling you otherwise. So technically it's madder to believe that there isn't any magic. 
that is quite a monologue. That's is like, that the monologue? Because it's no, great. No, me talking to you, but it, <laughs> unfortunately, that's one of my worst traits is sometimes people think they're in a, I'm on a monologue. I'm like, no, this is a conversation. This is, it's why it takes me so long to. riot. But that is the, yeah, there's a definite, and I think it's, I think it's arrogant for us to believe. I do believe that a lot of the things that we call wizardry now will be explicable through science in like 20 years. Like even psychics, like the ability to be intuitive, like everything we do, like why do gigs or shows not work as well in this format as opposed to when you're live on stage? Why, what is that feeling you get between an audience? Now we know there's like heightened dopamine, but there's something there and there's an energy and we use it for work. Yeah. We we go, okay, we've just done a take of a scene. Let's do another one. Why? We said the exact same words. Because the feeling will be different this time. Or I've got a yeah. feeling and I don't think I did it right in my eyes. Can I go again? Or or the rhythm of the comedy will make people laugh and I know there'll be a slight difference and that will be there. And that means we're more intuitive about certain types of things. So who's to say someone can't look at you and predict energies that might happen or something coming towards you? And it might seem silly now, but um, I think it's kind of ignorant of us to believe that there isn't Uh, a a deeper connection within people. I mean, look at how lockdown has worked, that you can feel a general depression in people or an anger in people or that you can stoke people up. And yes, it's through kind of imagery and facts and the internet, but it's also something else. Like, what what is it? Um, And it can't be weighed or it it can't be sort of shown, but I do, I I sort of believe. That's nicer to believe. I think for a long time I was... You, you know the bits that are the business of religion, that are the dirty, cold, hard, awful businesses. In yeah. the same way you know that about going to a coffee shop, that's a big chain. But the yeah. sitting around with people in a big chain coffee shop is the lovely bit of it. And you're like, oh God, okay, can we just focus on that? And community and connection and the belief in something bigger than ourselves to make ourselves less solipsistic and egotistical i think there's something that's so deeply human about that yeah that is really understandable and when we lose it we lose more than we think and essentially going to church which i don't do like this is not me it sounds like i'm doing the big push for religion guys but i'm not (laughs) but like i was talking to someone today about how in the pandemic we've lost meeting up with you know people you only half care about you hope they're doing well but if you never see them again like meh yeah. But actually, they're really important. And I suppose coming to yeah. churches or connections forces you to be with different people of different age groups, people uh, who you wouldn't normally get along with. Um, they might bring something out of you that your sort of group of yes men that you exist with might not. Yeah, and I think that's something that that I miss or that I and, and what I love about comedy and live comedy and stand up. And that's for me, my little church. I have the same thing. Like, well, first of all, I have a special called Thank God for Jokes. And uh, so yes, I, Mike, I know it's one of my favorite specials I ever saw. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't pushing it, but I didn't want to. Do, but I'm not uh, even being sarcastic. I didn't want to ignore it. it. I love it so much. And I suppose especially because it's my style of comedy. I love that you talk to the audience. I've loads of material on religion as well. And I connect with so much of it. And it's so interesting to see another culture, but a similar culture. Because yeah. you were talking about it like as a, an American second gen with something similar. That's our, And I love that special so much. Well, when I was working on that show at the Bleecker Street Theater, 
uh, it was back to back slots with Neil Brennan's show Three Mics, which is I, a, a I brilliant love that. Netflix That's my show. Favorite special. I've never seen that. But I really do. Actually, I really love. <laughs> <laughs> both of, them are of course, of course, you do. It's it's a great, it's a great special. Uh, but he has, but Neil has this uh, this line where he says something to the effect of like, you know, sometimes the world can feel like it's a room filling up with water. And for me to be able to think of a joke is like an air bubble. Mm-hmm. And and I can take the oxygen, my lungs, and it can carry me forward. And and I and I really do feel like I I do feel like sometimes mm-hmm. the combination of, of sort of speaking your truth combined with a group of of people in the audience, it really can feel like a religious experience. You're one of the rare comics who I've encountered where, and you must have had friends tell you, you this before. You friends? Where, Sorry, you finished this sentence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, yes, no. exactly. You, you took you the say. words right out of my mouth. <laughs> no, it's that you, it's almost like someone should have it follow you around with a tape recorder because so many things that you're saying, I'm like, uh, you should write that down. You should jot that down. Like that should, that could be a bit. Um, when you and I met, it was at a, a opening night party for the Broadway hit Ferryman, which was... Just a classic where we'd be, Mike. You know what I mean? It's just a classic (laughs) where we'd be. Well, I remember when I met you, we were at the opening night of a Broadway hit show. (laughs) I do believe. No, but it was very memorable for me because I loved, I was very moved by that play. Mm -hmm. And it's it's about particularly Northern Ireland, Mm -hmm. I want to say. And then at the party... uh, I don't know if we were in a group of people, but you just started chatting with me, and I just immediately thought, "What a funny and uh, charming person!" And uh, and and you, I don't know. Tell me this: Are you extroverted, or is it uh, what quality of you allows you to just talk to people at parties like that? Because I was not about to talk to people at the party. Oh wow, that's interesting. Um, I I did think this the other day. I've never been shy. Ever, 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 ever. I've been embarrassed. It's not like I haven't been awkward. I've been afraid, but I'm not shy. And I think it's because I'm not afraid of other people at all. The only person I'm purely terrified of is myself. (laughs) I'd rather spend time with anyone but me. So I suppose in social situations, I'm like, oh God, you're not me. Fantastic. Um, But my mother's not shy either. So I was brought up with a real, and she's a very equal person like she doesn't think anyone's below or beneath her so I don't think anyone's whoa there's that person and I also don't think oh I'll move on from that person either yeah um, my mom has that quality too which I think is you have it too though as well Mike maybe I, I have I'd, it more so it reflects back on something you already have but you're so like that and welcoming and warm and just being like open you're you're definitely like that without a doubt do you think it's an i don't want to generalize but do you think it's an irish quality because my mother's irish yes well without a doubt yeah 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 it's it's a very i suppose if you were to put english and irish people beside each other what's the difference obviously you know english people are evil and stuff but other than that (laughs) and the second Oh, English people, I'm joking. Don't at me. I live in your country. I pay taxes. A lot of tax. I love you. I make You're not going to be allowed on any of the chat shows anymore. Um, But uh, that their assumption is you'd have to get to know someone really well to be friends. And Irish culture is the opposite. You have to, you assume 
they're not an enemy. So you yeah. just assume someone is your... And, and I think what English people describe as over-familiarity is normal. So we would describe that as a coldness, whereas they would describe us as over-familiar. Whereas yeah. that's normal. And I, I just don't... It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a cultural thing to talk and engage and connect and make community and I, I make connections as well. You know, that's where Irish yeah. people all know each other. It's not that we don't know each It's not that we all know each other. It's just that we try and work it out more. You know, English probably people all probably know each other as well. They just don't do any detective work. And we're like immediately going, hello, who are you? And where was your mother? And what year did she move over? And did she go to school? And was there a priest there called Father Michael? <laughs> ah, well, he had been moved from a, a parish near my aunt's house because he was a paedophile. And that's how oh I know God. you. Um, oh, my God. So Wait, hold on, hold on. Are we, are we writing this down? Ah, no, it's all just... That's got to be a run now. somewhere. Um. But like that's definitely a a, a cultural thing, yeah. But I, I it's the one bit that I'm like I wouldn't change for the world. That I I like I like traveling through people. Like I don't have wanderlust, but I have people lust. Like I yeah. love going. Oh, where where are you from? What's your story? What's your culture? And tell me all about it. I, I love I love that. I had a thing. I was having lunch with my mom one day, where we get up. There's these women at a table over and about my mom's age. And, uh, and we get up to leave and she walks over and starts talking to them about, she said, um, I heard you talking about your tooth surgery and I had the same <laughs> tooth surgery. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I go, Mom, we get to the car, I go, Mom, why'd you just talk to those ladies? She goes, I heard them talking about the tooth surgery and I had to say something. I was like, you didn't have to say something. You know, that happens a lot more in stand-up then I, I don't always relate to the stand-ups. I relate to the people they're talking to. And I'm so sometimes oh. I often feel like when someone goes, and this person comes over and does this, and I'm like, can I just, you know, let's hear him out though. <laughs> he, he was having a bad day, and that's why he seems oh. so overwhelmed. But that's, but that's why your series is so good, because I feel like all of the characters have a three-dimensional point of view on oh, this way up. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I, and, ho I hope so. But I think that that's the, that's the mark of a dramatist, which is that the dramatist is, um, puts themselves in the shoes of all of the characters in a somewhat equal way. And so you write the hell out of your character, um, who <laughs> I was listening to your episode of uh, Pete Holmes's podcast, which I love, uh, where you, he asked you to describe your character in the show, and you said, I'm a bit much. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's it. But I love that. And actually, I've, I mean, I've heard you talk in other interviews about uh, the sort of like uh, the, the, the sort of uh, relationship between uh, confidence, um, mistaking confidence uh, for self-esteem. I think I always felt really like, um, how do I put this? It's stupid for me to say I wasn't confident because I would go and do stand up in front of 6,000 people. And uh, sometimes, not just on an any random day, just say, for example, I have done that. Yeah. Or I would go on stage and not be shy around people. Yeah. And like, it would be stupid for me to say I'm not confident. And yet sometimes you'd feel so so much self-hatred or, or not like yourself. And you're like, then why, how can I call this confidence? And a therapist described it to me as high, which I think a lot of performers have, 
which is high confidence and low self-esteem. Yeah. And it means that you are confident enough to go on stage to 6,000 people, but your self-worth is measured by whether those 6,000 people like you or not. Whereas some people will maybe have lower confidence or they might go on stage, but if whether it goes well or not, like whether those people laugh or defect how they feel about themselves. And that's high self-esteem. And so I think I definitely like how others see me is how I judge myself. I don't go like, I think I'm great. I'm like, did they like me? Because that that's how I judge myself is by if other people like me. And I think with that comes trying to, when I hear bad things about other people, sometimes I overly go, well, let's hear them out because I sometimes <laughs> feel like I might have been misunderstood or or picked up badly. Like I remember after the night of meeting you for the first time, the next morning I woke up because I knew I'd had too many free drinks at the bar and I was being a little <laughs> loose a little with my opinions. And I thought to myself, oh my God, I bet you everyone hates me or if I'm too much. There I was blabbing away at this Broadway play. And... Um, and gone real about it rather than going well last night I was drunk everyone was drunk I would assume that like I'd done something or said something back because I talk so much and it just comes out that I do recall that you had very funny opinions that I we don't want to put them on the board. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want This is my Oh yeah, I, those opinions you had you were really afraid of. Let's <laughs> now put them on record. Stepping away from my conversation with Ashlyn B to send a shout out to our friends at Spindrift. Oh, how I love my Spindrift. Berbiglias love Spindrifts. <laughs> Spindrift sparkling water is so popular that uh, with my family that that uh, this weekend we had an outdoor uh, gathering of uh, family to celebrate my daughter's sixth birthday. Una is six years old, and uh, and it was wonderful. And we had pizza of course, and cake, and Spindrift. And at the end of it, we had extra Spindrift. And so I, I did a trivia game with my my sister Gina, my brother Joe. Gina won, and the crowd went wild. Spindrift is in 11 real fruit varieties, lime, grapefruit, lemon. It's such a, uh, it's such a healthy alternative to soda because they're sweet, but they're naturally sweet. You can order Spindrift yourself by going to drinkspindrift.com and entering code BURBIGS, and you'll get 25% off your order. That's a good deal. Drinkspindrift.com, enter code BURBIGS. And now back to the show. Do you have a smell that you remember from childhood that sticks with you? Yes, I do. Um, My dad died when I was a kid, and when I was three... And he was a horse vet. Um, and by vet, I mean veterinarian surgeon, not like he was in the war of horses. Ugh, he was a vet from oh horse. <laughs> and oh um, uh, he, I used to travel around with him. There's a certain, and it'll flash by me, of medical, which wouldn't have been around, even though randomly I remember until I was about, he had so much cotton wool, this medical cotton wool, which was okay. in our house longer than he lived there. Because obviously after he died, there'd just be all the stuff around. And like I think my, my mother would use it to remove her makeup and stuff like that. Usually piles of this cotton wool. Wow. But there's wow. like a smell of, of medical supplies 
kind of for animals, really. But like that's so... It was really weird. I remember. So this is a bit of a the psychic Christy Hitler stuff. But I did this <laughs> hypnosis thing because, of course, it is. I'm, I'm such a like white woman having my white woman summer. I'm just like a rosé <laughs> away from full basic. Thank God I don't like rosé wine because otherwise I'd just be like, oh, come on, Ashley. Um, but I did this with this like energy healer hip, hypnosis to and to go back to your child, so your inner child, to have a little chat with yourself. Yeah. And it was all about my dad. And it, it, it did this thing where it's almost like you're there and a sudden memory or feeling and I could smell the the medical stuff from his car. Yeah, and the cotton thing. And with that came an absolute knowledge that I was loved. And, oh. it, like, and I didn't know, and like a feeling of like, it was almost like if, if, if you'd been fed bananas every single day of your life until you were three, and they never heard or thought about a banana or smelled one or yeah. touched one for 20, 30 years. And then yeah. someone gave you the taste of a banana. You're like, this, I know this, this. And that's what it was like. That's such a sweet smell memory. It's a, I love that it's positive. That's smell really memory. sweet. Yeah, smell memory. The, uh, do you have a memory on a loop that doesn't end up making it into your shows, but is just sort of like something you think about every now and then? yeah it's it's uh the teacher i was like playing on this with this um like you know it was like one of those playmobil kind of toy car garages it's sort of you drive around a little car and then someone else had like matching cards like you know two pictures of a tiger or two pictures of a bear and you have to just put the matching ones together and i'm like oh god why did i pick the playmobil now i want those cards God, I picked the wrong game. And I'm like, Miss and when teacher, is there any way, is there any way I can please change over to the cards? And she's like, you always do this, Ashling. You always want to do all the things. Oh. <laughs> and I, like, you always want to play all the different games. And I can still feel the like intense addiction to want to play the other thing and, and the jumping wow. between the dopamine, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't fit any, like you're saying, it doesn't mean anything, but just the feeling of, Oh, oh, one, oh, I want that one, but I want that, 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 but I can't. Oh God, I'd love to have them all, them all. That sort of, that. But I find that, I find that completely relevant to, to your career because you're, you're a writer, you're a producer, you're a stand-up comedian, you're on these chat shows, you're like doing everything. And I bet there's some part of you deep down that thinks like, maybe I should just do one of the things. Yeah, and one thing well rather than everything yeah. averagely. But then I'm always like a hedge hedge my bets. This is one of those, yeah, Mike. So I'm using this as an opportunity to tell that passive aggressive <laughs> play school bitch that she doesn't know me. He's laughing now oh. all the way to the bank, Mrs. Oh my Foster gosh. Murphy, this whatever is, your name was. <laughs> this is so hostile. This is the most hostile the I show often, has ever actually, gotten. This is something I was trying to work on stand-up of about like how all of these people, like we never get over our childhood. I did have a joke which I wrote on Twitter, which was like, it only takes 93 years to get over your childhood and then you can get on with life. Oh, that's great. And, that's a great joke. And I remember one of my mother's um, ex-boyfriend said this thing once and it was really kind of deep of him. And it, it, it sort of makes sense where he's like, when you're five, Two months out of your life, actually, I'll say a year because I can't do the maths, but like a year of your life is one fifth of your whole life. So yeah. everything that happens in that year is like a fifth of your whole experience. And, and it's just in your body so much. 
When you're 45, a year is a 45th. So it doesn't, (laughs) it's not that big a deal. So the things that might happen, you might win an Oscar at 45, but you're like, it's only a 45th of your year. But if you have something taken away from you at four, you're like, that's a quarter of my entire life that it happened. And without pizza, I'll never go to you know, so... I, w- I was a camp counselor when I was 15, mm-hmm. and all of my recollections of it were that I couldn't stand the kids and that I was mm. probably terrible at it and all this kind of stuff. It was Worcester Academy sports camp. But I do recall one thing, which is that there was a camper named Eric Diddleman, and he was smaller than all the other kids, mm-hmm. and he they picked on him. And mm. so for whatever reason, as a counterbalance to that, I would just really, I was like his hype man. I'd be like, Eric, I'd be like, Eric, gentleman's here, right? Oh, yeah. So so cut to 20 years later, Eric Diddleman is, he's a successful magician, Eric Diddleman. (gasps) And he wrote me a message recently and says, I really, it really sticks with me to this day that everyone picked on me and then you made me like a, a big, you know, you gave me a lot of self-esteem that like stuck with me to this day. It was like very, very sweet. You say that, so, but actually you did him a load of damage because he became a magician. <laughs> <laughs> One time Jen and I went, my wife Jen and I went to Ireland many years ago. We were in Dingle, which is gorgeous. <gasps> That's where my dad was from. Oh, just one of the most spectacular, if people listening ever have the opportunity in your life to go to Dingle, mm. it is the westernmost tip of Europe, actually. Next step, and, America. And so you're able to sort of look out on these cliffs. We went on a bike ride out to these cliffs. It was extraordinary. And one time we're in a pub and, uh, and, and, my, and my wife, Jen, goes, uh, she goes, I think that this... Um, town is famous for its berries. <laughs> yeah, go on. And, and, and I go, no, no, it's, it's no, no, I, I think that that's just an expression. She goes, no, no, I'm sure of it. And I think we had had a couple pints or whatever. She goes, I'm sure of it. And then she says to the, the bartender, excuse me, like, is this town known for its berries? And so he walks over and tells a group of bar patrons this story about us who are on the other end of the bar. And they all start laughing at us in unison. And that is my Dingleberry story. <laughs> oh, Mike. <laughs> Dingleberries. <laughs> Lord bless us and save us. When you play in Ireland, because I've played a handful of times mm-hmm. in Ireland. I, I did Kilkenny Festival many yes. years ago. I actually remember. I remember I went on stage at Kilkenny Festival, and I was like, oh, this is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then Tommy Tiernan, oh, the great yeah. Irish comedian, uh, went on after me, and I go, oh, okay, I guess what I was doing wasn't comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so Irish the audience are erupted so in this... W- local. Like, we're quite, for um, a sort of self-deprecating country, we're extraordinarily arrogant about our own amazingness as a culture. And while we kind of will tolerate foreigners to break up the day, but ultimately... (laughs) To break up the day. Yeah, but ultimately what we want to listen to is someone talking about us who knows us to ourselves. And so I say this to every American at Cat Laughs or at the Vodafone Festival. I'm like, go out 
and just before you're set, mention something you've seen in the town. Wow, just please. of course. And they're like, I don't need to do something pandering crowd work. And you're like, okay. And then someone else will go and go, hey, I was, uh, went and bought a sandwich in Dunn's stores. That's a bargain. And people are like, ah, oh my gosh. Oh my stores. gosh. Uh, this is perfect, actually. Uh, because I, first of all, I completely agree about starting with local observations material. Um, and and, and may, maybe I could run by you some observations I had uh, about Ireland Thanks. the last time I was in Ireland so that I could use this the next time I come to Ireland, which I yes. hope is soon. When we were in Ireland, we went to a zoo. And it's weird because there are animals all over the place in Ireland, there are fields of sheep and goats. And then we're at the zoo and there's a there's a cage of goats. <laughs> and these goats have got to be thinking, where did we go wrong? Like we could have had a field. <laughs> That's a true story. That's yeah. you know, it's in my it's in my notebook from like 10, 15 years ago. And I thought, if I ever go to Ireland, I'm gonna try that. Is there something about like the goat being like, oh God, this is so shit of us for being so special? That, oh, like that's they funny. were extra talented. That's funny. Goats. They, they, they think, like, yeah, they think that they're, they're the, the chosen normal, ones. Like the rest of them, we could have stayed in the goddamn field. But you yeah. had to be dynamic, John, didn't you? And now look where it's gotten us in a cage with spectators. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they're, ha- yeah, yeah, exactly. They're quibbling among each other for the rest of their lives. Yeah, going, well, it's you. You made me look special and worth yeah. looking at, worth paying to look at. I didn't ask for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love that. Well, I, it's so funny because what I thought you were saying, which also could be a way to go with it, is like that they actually think we're the chosen ones. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you could go both ways with it. We're the, cho- we're the ones who get to stay indoors. Americans and We have a nice us. cage. and Like they're celebrities in comparison. Like they're the VIP lounge of goats. Yes. Is and there the other observation well I had... The idea of petting zoos being in, in like that, you know... Not everyone can afford lots of stuff. And so there's lions, sure. We've got a polar bear. And then like a couple of goats. Like you have to pat it out like a bread basket <laughs> of a zoo. Or the goats. Like, there's a dog as well. And, and over there, there's a cat. Yeah. Um, if you want to have a look at a cat in a cage. We've got yeah. a cat or two there. You know, like a couple of things where like, we have to pat it out. It's also the weird, it's also the weird thing about zoos where it's like, you know, we have a lion. We have sheep. Yeah. And then in the cafeteria, we serve chicken. <laughs> yeah, it's a really cruel... If you were to look at it from the animal's perspective, it would be a horror movie. Yeah, it's a horror movie! <laughs> they chop us up and they eat us. And then they come and look at us perform with a ball yeah. on our nose like we're animals. Stepping away from my conversation with Ashling B to send a shout out to Bombas Socks. Bombas are my favorite socks. They're the only socks uh, that I wear. I go, I go Bombas or no socks. That's it. That's my whole deal. Uh, because A, they're super, super comfortable. Uh, B, they give a pair of Bombas socks uh to a homeless shelter for every pair that you purchase. They've donated over 45 million pairs of socks. That is my kind of company. That is working it out for a cause. 
as a company. It's uh, and, and they're incredible. They're uh, they're they're stitched with special moisture wicking yarn and temperature regulating vents that allow cool air to flow in and prevent overheating. They just hug your they hug your darn feet. You'll love them. Give them a shot. Go to bombas.com slash burbigs and get 20% off your first order. Bombas.com slash burbigs. And now, back to the show. Do you have any bits that you are working on that are sort of half finished or anything like that? Let me have a little like look. That? I have a little list now. And after our chats, which one would I like to zoom in on? Um, we've talked about so many interesting things. Yeah. Um, one, one thing that I, it's, it's almost like, and I enjoyed listening to you and Nikki talk so much. Um, it's almost like, I think with my personality or your personality, sometimes it can be harder to talk about certain subjects because people are sad when you're sad. It's actually, yeah, like if the audience likes you and you bring up something that makes them think, oh, she was sad. Yeah. They can't recover from it very easily. And I yeah. find that a little tough sometimes. And I have this bit where, I mean, it, it goes well at small gigs, but when I've tried to turn it into something bigger, my um, my dad, as I said, died when I was a kid. And there was there's only ever been one... Sorry, I'm moving my feet around to think. There's only ever been one video of him because at the time, obviously, we didn't have video recorders or like I often think Americans. I, sometimes I see Amy Schumer put up videos of herself when she was a kid. I'm like, mm. oh, my God, like America used to be a place where video cameras were available. Like in America, yeah. they get video cameras. They're only eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Whereas, you know, that was so, that was until I was a teenager. That sort of thing wouldn't happen. That you'd have a video yeah. camera or a family would have a video camera. As a matter of fact, there was a there was a great Jim Sheridan movie in America. Uh, in America, yes. about an Irish family moving to America, and oh, a gorgeous. lot of the footage is like camcorder footage. Yes, that's interspersed. It's very emotional. I love that movie. Yeah, oh, it's gorgeous. We used to quote that a lot um, when we were kids because it was there was a the bit where they were crossing the border. It's like, what are you doing yes. here? We're going to America, and my dad's not working. Because like they kept on telling, it's very important to say we're not here for work. We're not here for work. We're going to America. And my dad's not working. We used to quote that the whole time. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry. So you you only have this one piece of video footage. So we of have your this dad. video of um, my dad, and it's from my christening. And my father was really into technology and just like working out new things. And there was an encyclopedia or or a or a video camera, and in it. I suppose growing up, I wasn't that interested in it almost for some reason. And But I, I remember it being like, you know, his voice and him moving around and there's no footage of him moving anywhere. And now we have so much footage of everyone moving and doing things and talking and there's no recordings of his voice or or how he looked when he moved or how he walked. And I really loved Dawson's Creek. And um, it was, you know, we didn't have any sort of what you call TiVo or anything like that. Like we only had two channels. And um, the video somehow ended up in the pile. And one day I just recorded Dawson's Creek over it. Oh my gosh. Oh and, my gosh. <laughs> and my bit that I tried, and it, it did work sometimes, oh, but other people are too sad. Oh my God. Are like, I go, I know it's so sad, 
basically like Dawson had been in love with Pacey for or not Pacey Joey for so long and then she ended up with Joey and it's just it's one of those heartbreaking stories you never get over your first love like you know trying to make it as if that's a sad bit yeah and I remember I only realized and then I just put the video back and never told mommy until like I was in my late 20s when it's one of those mistakes where the teenage me was a was a child doing something yeah and then, and so that's kind of the bit that I was trying to work out how to totally do, like what, what the total button would be where people, I think it needs to go on to something else. But the interesting thing was about it, about four or five years ago, I wrote an article about my dad's death and it went viral and uh, it sort of got shared around the world and all this kind of stuff. And um, the what the weird part of it was after the sort of slightly slightly shocking time of so many people getting in touch about suicide and their loved ones and stuff was at a very personal level all of these men getting in touch who'd known my dad and at the time when he died there was no Facebook there was no way of staying in touch with my mother and all of these men who sort of had found out or had been at the funeral but had lost their friend and then just went on with their own lives and I remember being a little bit like Mamma Mia you know, when Mamma Mia, three men turn up and she doesn't know which one's her father. Yeah. But these three men from around the world sort of got in touch who'd been vets with my dad at school. Veterinarians. Veterinarians, yeah. yeah. And they, one lived in Australia, another was in Ireland, but he may as well have been in Timbuktu because of the emotional space between him and my mom, in a sense, you know, not being able to get in touch. But they all sort of got in touch through their kids who followed me on Facebook or who followed me on Twitter. Wow. and um. And one of them was this gorgeous couple. And randomly, I'd been following their daughters because they were this these two Irish women who set up this thing called Food Cloud, which is about collecting food waste and distributing it back to homeless charities and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, that's a cool thing. So years before, and they DM'd me on Twitter. I was like, hi, we're sort of from this food guy thing, but my dad is pretty sure he was really good friends with your dad at university and was one of his best friends. And... Um, Mommy was like, oh, yeah, I remember him. He was at our wedding. And they came over to England to see their two daughters who were also living here. And in it, they brought a video of their wedding and they put it onto a CD. So they transferred it onto a CD. Oh, my gosh. And this was pre like video with audio. Yeah. But they gave it to me. They were like, your dad's in that. And yeah. through this article, they gave me this this DVD. And I was like, oh, my God, thank you. Because we met up for a cup of tea. And it's almost like they wanted to see him, not me, in a sense, which was fine. Like there was that sort of something like a little key or a puzzle I'd been giving back to them. Because you forget as well when it's your own life. Yeah. How many friends or people. And they were all younger than they were around my our age. You know, all these people losing someone and it would have been massively affecting for them, but there was no way of like staying in touch or knowing what had happened to us. And yeah. all of these men sort of got in touch and I was looking at them going, they're my dad's height and age and background and same life and trying to put together who he is. But then I got this DVD and brought it back and put it in my computer. And even though there's no sound on it, and like there's obviously at least seven nuns at this wedding. It was an Irish wedding. I'm like, that's a lot of nuns, even for an Irish <laughs> wedding. You know, all these nuns. Is, and, and it's just music with footage. But there suddenly is this man. And it would have been him before he met my mom. But it's just him walking around. 
in this wedding in just little clips and there he is moving with his body and his oh. voice and his head and you're just watching this and it's just like there's the video back in some way and yeah yeah it was just one of those weird there's not totally it's not but there's some stores there's something in it and i don't know the it's beautiful you don't totally know and sometimes i was thinking about this podcast sometimes stuff isn't for stand-up and you find yeah you make a movie or you make your sure story or your podcast or your discussion but I, I have a joke for it, which is, oh, um, please. which is that, uh, you know, in these, I, I met these men and they, they handed me a package. They said, we have some footage of your dad from this wedding. And, and I opened it up and it was a, a DVD box set of Dawson's Creek. It's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. I mean, I feel like you could do that and then you could tell the actual story, but like, it's, yeah. it's like, but it's, it's, to have something and then at least you can go like ah no but it's you're looking what yeah that's perfect because what you're looking for is something to break the tension yeah it was all six seasons which was and watching which your stand-up was, thank god that's what I I love about your stand-up and watching you gave me a lot more confidence and this is going to seem like a, a an insult it genuinely isn't a lot more confident I think what I panic about as a storyteller is the time it takes to get to a laugh and to know that people are okay listening to a story and you were genuinely one of my favorite stand-ups, Mike, because of that. I love, I look at you and I'm like, I'm totally okay. I haven't laughed in two minutes. Of course, yeah. it's because he's not that funny. But <laughs> sometimes you don't laugh and you're like, but I'm really entertained and I'm not on a laugh count. I'm here for the storytelling bit. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I feel like that, I mean, I feel like what you're describing, if you wanted to do it, is what a main event of a solo show at Edinburgh or off Broadway or, or wherever you'd want to do it mm-hmm. would be. I mean, that's, that's an extremely, I mean, even just hearing it, uh, in, in, uh, in an early version of it, it's very emotional. And I think that the reason why we tell stories is because people he, see themselves in the story and they feel some sense of catharsis from it. So you're giving a gift to the audience by sharing this really personal, deep story that you have. I know what my end music would be then for the show. Open up your morning light. Oh my say gosh. a little breath alright. That would be the Sarah McLaughlin, right? Yes, it was Sarah McLaughlin. I used to do, in my teenage times when I was sad, think about my dad and play in the arms of the angel on the piano. What I can imagine oh. in a really average way. But I thought I was like so moving. But I feel like the question is, are you willing to to make that show? Because I'd love to see that show. But also you have you have to sort of commit to this idea of like you're going to put yourself inside this traumatic life event for, you know, I spend two, three years on these shows. Yeah. I mean, I don't think that part of it wasn't traumatic, to be honest. That's the bit that was not but I think people get uncomfortable. I, I, I think it's more finding, like when you said, and inside. Was <laughs> yeah. A tape of Dawson's Creek. And for a second, I thought you were going to say, and inside was porn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny too. And you know what I mean? And I, I think I've been looking for, you know, all you need is a little key. 
but you're going around this bunch. Yeah. And when, yeah. It's, and when it's something that you care about, it's fine when you're like, what's the difference between men and women? Because like, ah, each, you know, it's yeah. like I'm dying to get in the door. It's fine if I don't get in this one. But when it's something that's a bit more personal to you and you have to keep trying it to work out the key, it's it's more like, oh, you, your confidence starts to, it's it's so such a big jump out to to risk. It's, it, it's massive. Stage. And, yeah. you know, one piece of wisdom that I took from Ira Glass many years ago, because mm-hmm. we've worked on a lot of these uh, movies and shows together and stories for This American Life, is he, and I, I hope I'm not butchering some of his wisdom, but this is how I understood it, is that one way to unfold a story is to have some plot and then the emotion of how you feel about that plot and then a little more plot and then the emotion of how you feel that, about the plot. And it's the interplay of emotion and plot that keeps the audience interested. And what he plot, said to me- emotion about that plot. Yeah. More plot, and so, emotion and so what he, about that plot. And so what he said to me, and I, I found this extraordinarily helpful, is he's like, for your shows, the emotion is uh, actually the jokes. Yes. And, and, that's why, and that's why the audience is interested because they're laughing and then they're drawn in to the plot. Mm. And in your case, the plot is, will you ever achieve any sense of closure about this extremely traumatic event of losing your father? Mm. And the, you know, you know the secret is, uh, sure, to some extent, yes. And part of it is through these experiences with, with seeing your dad's friends and them sharing this thing with you. But the audience, it's actually suspenseful for the audience. They don't know if you'll achieve any sense of, of catharsis or, or, or um, uh, comfort or anything. That's so true. And sometimes I suppose when there's no end, like I find like that story has no end other than like there's, there's my dad in the yeah. video. And I suppose it's like the... I find it easier if I know what the point is of telling people, especially with stand-up. I think it's easy when it's a discussion like this. When yeah. you're on stage, it's like, um, it would stand-up, I'm like, the key rule is you're not doing a TED Talk. It yeah. has to be stand-up. So it can take whatever format it is, but it's not, a st- it's not your chance to be confessional. It's not your therapy. Of yep. course, it can be therapeutic. It can be cathartic. But it is a stand-up show people have paid for. And you're not just there to go, so guys, I did this. Because it's not a confessional talk evening or a storytelling yeah. evening. And, and they're beautiful. Yeah. They're lovely. I've done loads of them. New York has loads of them, actually. And I've done quite a few of them when I was living there. And that's great because it's almost like the pressure's off to be funny. So you end up becoming funnier. Sure. Um, but with the stand-up, it's like, well, what for that story to get to that? Oh, that was a bit of feeling. But so what? What's the... And that's when I realized, if you know what I mean. Like, thank God, yeah. the jokes has the and most gorgeous. That's when I realized. So does the, oh my God, have I forgotten the name of it? Toys Fall Down, you're special. The new one. The new, the new one. one, the new one, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm great with all the titles of your things. You know, what's a new one? Um, the new one. Um, so yeah, so what's the like, what are you trying to get people to feel by telling them that story? Like here, well, the, it's because there's something, it's an interesting story, but in terms of stand-up, What's the... the other thing to keep in mind, I mean, I agree with you. And I think like you'll find those jokes, but you'll find those jokes by mm. virtue of uh, you're such a funny person naturally. I mean, I was saying earlier, 
you could, you know, record any conversation that you have and you'd probably find 10 jokes in it that you could pluck out. I think what you'll find is by telling the story on stage, you you will reflexively tell jokes. I, and I know that I'll the, tell jokes because yeah. that's what you do anyways. I suppose yeah. what I find is if I know there's an end goal, I'm much better at... I can I take a tangent even when I'm yeah. speaking, as you can tell, all the time. But I always yeah. remember what to come back to. And I think with this, I don't know what I'm coming back to. So it's yeah. almost like I'm just I'm going out, not knowing where I'm going. And I think I need a place to be getting to, if that makes well, sense. Well, I think like I think, for example, and it might be this, it might not be this, but it might be the reunion with your dad's friends. That might be the place you're going. You know, like when when my director Seth and I were developing Sleepwalk with me, it was like the place we were going was the moment where I'm jumping through the second story window. In my girlfriend's boyfriend, it was the place we were going was the car accident. And and in um, Thank God for Jokes, it was this David O. Russell story. And with um, with the new one, it you was... You had a kid. Yeah. <laughs> you, knew, you knew we didn't need to know that that's yeah. where you were going. And I suppose right, and when so, I'm telling so I, this, I don't yeah. totally know yet where I don't know the I I love knowing the end even when I write a movie or a TV show I always know the final scene but I think that I think that you're you already told me what it is I in my opinion which is to say that when you talk about meeting your dad's friends to me that could be it I think and and or watching the video alone um the other thing I want to point out um is that you know when when Edison was inventing the recording of sound, mm-hmm. part of the goal was um, so that we could have the voices uh, of our dead forever. Mm. And that was actually the goal. It wasn't like he envisioned that Netflix or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think he that that might be butchered with the two of us doing dick jokes, did he? It's like, sorry, Addison. <laughs> but I think that that but I think that that might be worth exploring because, you know, here you are mm. experiencing this catharsis, you know, a hundred years after the invention. Um, yeah, and it, uh, and it wasn't the, the intent of yeah. me being on telly and having hundreds of hours and videos of me shared around the world, and this sounds like I'm being big-headed, it's just more the truth, and, like, uh, all of these tapes of me and DVDs and specials, and yet there's the thing I want to see the most, there's only a flicker of, and that's the show I want to see. And I recorded yeah. an episode of Dawson's Creek over. But, like, the irony of, like, the the difference, which I suppose is a bit more like therapy, it's like, well, there, there was definitely something I had growing up where, you know, the Irish thing is like, well, you could be dead tomorrow. And myself yeah. and my sister... We're like, yeah, no, you could. Like, that happened to us. Someone died. Um, And we have this blinding panic to get as much work done as we can just in case we die. And there's a panic, almost like a paralyzing, ironically, panic about getting as much work and doing as many things as possible just in case you leave nothing behind, just in case something you do could just be recorded with an episode of Dawson's Creek over it, like a panic to live and make work and leave a mark and not be left with nothing. And... Yeah, the, 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 the difference of me having thousands of hours of my voice out there and my face and, and videos and, 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 and stuff. And yeah, there's something maybe in that and how much we record, but the yeah. precious thing that you have. 
And just this idea that you just want to watch two minutes of your dad walking around. Oh my God, and was on, the most the grass, fascinating you know? thing. Yeah, just like seeing his body, how he moved around. Yeah. Yeah, something, yeah, there's something in, in that element. It's discovering the the hook to it. It's it's that sort yeah. of, yeah, interesting, like, interesting. Yeah, and also like, in, in, and that of course comes back to the, the loneliness theme that you explore in in this way up which is which is sort of like talking about like sort of will this ever be resolved like will this loneliness ever be resolved and maybe that's sort of the question of the show that the question of that the show the question could ask yeah i mean i think that the thing you realize when you get older is you're like the answer is no and you're like oh shit <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh no <laughs> yes of course no Oh, no. It's, it's either wrong yeah. or it's right, isn't it? No, a lot of the time it's very messy in between. And there's no justice. Is there such a thing? The law? Kind of here and there, to be honest. Depends yeah. on what country you live in, what, what, you, what you believe in. The last thing that we do on the show is called working it out for a cause. And you, it, it, there's, if there's any nonprofit that you think is doing a good job right now, I'm going to donate to them and then I'm going to link to them in the show notes. I've, I've thought about this a lot and I'd actually like to nominate myself. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> How dare you? I think I did a lot of good work here in Save and I, I require, I think it's I should. It's AshleyB.com. <laughs> AshleyB.com forward slash. Uh, don't, please don't send them my agent. I do not want to pay any commission oh on this. Oh my gosh. Um, no, I would like to choose Refuge, which is a charity in the UK uh, for uh, domestic violence uh, to help women who are in domestic violence. As we know, um, domestic violence cases, we don't even know the numbers of it yet yeah. for during the pandemic. The pressure of financial pressure, the emotional pressure of this yeah. time has probably brought out the worst in a lot of situations. Uh, there are obviously numbers you can call if you're listening. And I would say if you feel like you may be in a situation, even just ringing the numbers a step, if you can get access to a phone um, uh, just to ring a charity, they might not be able to do everything in the world, but um, uh, it's it's a step towards maybe breaking a cycle. And I hope you are okay if that's a situation you are in. But Refuge Charity in the UK we're we're going to link to refuge in the show notes um so people can donate um and uh and this conversation thanks for having this ashling it's this has made me feel less lonely uh even just hearing you share that piece of your life with me am i your um camp counselor you're not going to start doing magic in your goddamn show are you mike <laughs> So you have to cut, there you go, undercutting it with humor. <laughs> and that's comedy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ashling. Well, uh, thanks again. And I will. Um, Thank you I, for this, I, Mike. I'm I had gonna... a brilliant time, which is what I'm supposed to say. That's what you told me to say at the end, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, I had a brilliant time. <laughs> Working it out, because it's not done. Working it out, because there's no that's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. Ashling B is a absolute one of a kind. I I love what she's doing. Uh, I can't wait to see what she does next. Uh, I follow her, and so should you on Instagram at we miss B. 
W-E-E-M-I-S-S-B-E-A um, on Instagram. Uh, you can follow me at at Biggs. And if you're liking this podcast, if you're liking working it out, uh, write a little uh, stars. Give us some stars or a little user review or, or even just forward this to a friend uh, because uh, uh, we really enjoy uh, what we're doing here and we hope you are as well. Uh, our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salomon and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, associate producer Mabel Lewis. Special thanks to my consigliere, Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, the poet J. Hope Stein. It's coming up on the, the one-year anniversary of our book, The New One, Painfully True Stories from a Reluctant Dad with Poems by J. Hope Stein, which is available at your local bookstore, which you should support, along with local pizza and local coffee and local groceries. As always, a special thanks to our daughter, Una, who, which is spelled, of course, the Irish way, O-O-N-A. She created a radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who have listened to tell your friends, tell your enemies. How loud can I say that? Tell your enemies. We're working it out. Thanks for being a part of it. See you next time.